Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name's Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Hello there. This week, no exceptions, we roll into episode 195 of Sorry You're In My Seat. This week, looking at the mediocre. Mm, the ones that don't bore you, but don't really excite you. The ones that are just, eh. The ones that you can see that they're on, you leave them on, maybe make a brew. You're not going to pause. Mm. You're just going to carry on. Now, I know this is the quest for the greatest movies of all time, but we had to take a little detour because this week, uh, just setting up nice and early, the DVLA here in the UK has changed driving laws because of the influx in self-driving cars and Teslas that have an onboard video console or TV screen on the inside. <laughs> They've now changed the law that if you own one of these cars, you are allowed to watch TV shows behind the wheel. It's weird, isn't it? It's a very it's weird, weird time. You know, even even in the 195 episodes of this podcast, I never thought we'd get to this topic. Can't wait till next year. <laughs> yeah, so naturally, we're going to take the piss out of the scenario. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the top 10 films to watch while driving. <laughs> Because what we want is we don't want a film that's too good to distract you from, you know, even though it's a self-driving car, we don't want a movie that's too distracting. You know, you do need to keep eyes on the road, but we don't want too boring that you fall asleep. Yeah, the other exactly. crime behind the wheel. So it has to be just enough to keep you awake. Just enough to, so that you can ignore it. Maybe you need to take over driving. You can slot straight back into it without yeah. any problems. So we are looking at the mediocre, the bang average, the safe, the five out of 10, the pedestrian, the, it was all right. The one and done, the, it wasn't that bad that it was bad. It's not so great that it's great. It's not that bad that it's actually great in that weird, you know, scenario that we often get the, it was worth watching, but it's instantly forgettable or what I like to call the fine line that Gerald Butler walks every time he accepts a script. I've personally tried to limit myself away from Gerald Butler movies because they'd all be there. We're not looking for great. We're not looking for genre-defining or groundbreaking. It's okay. We're also not looking for shit. We're not looking for appallingly bad. We're not after cats this week. We're not after cats. We're so, not cats. That, so that's what we're doing. Because then, if you put cats on whilst you were driving, you'd be tempted to drive yourself into a river. <laughs> so, so the, you know, and, and it, that's the thing. I mean, this podcast is all about trying to find the greatest of all time, put them safely in our sorry room, I see vaults. But this week, we are going to take a slight little detour in our... Uh, self-driving car as we look at the movies they're <laughs> probably going to be behind the wheel soon a really weird sentence do you think you'll ever own a driving car no I don't think no, so no me neither <laughs> no um, but uh, if you do like this episode don't forget to like and subscribe you get a new episode each and every week in your inbox and like I say if you just if you just just hit that subscribe button just put a little five star review in there Ooh. you know just just entertain us you know it just really makes worth uh, what well, all this is worth doing and you can listen to you know we're hopefully a good thing so you can listen to us in the car anytime Listen to our velvety tones as we talk about films that you shouldn't. <laughs> we will be there for you. Yes, exactly. Thank you for saving me on that one. The, and you know, 195 episodes as well. So there really is something for everyone from director specials. Sometimes we look at a specific film, sometimes a genre. Uh, but this week, no exception to our eclectic podcast listing with a top 10 mediocre films. And of course, we're not going to get it right because you will have your own list of top 10 mediocre films or films that you think are just okay. And that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. Write in, let us know what they are. Inboxers, we want to know what your average movies are as we talk through hours. I will admit, one of my top 10, since writing the list, I've gone back and think, actually, it is just bad. So I've moved that right to the end. There are some ones that you'll consider, but I've got justifications why. So why they yeah, keep that's, me, that's, that's what, I've tried that's what to it do. comes down to. Um, but before we start that, I've been to the cinema. Oh. I, I went to go see Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe and Brad Pitt in The Lost City, directed by Aaron and Adam Nee. Would you like to hear about this story? 
I would. Uh, Loretta Sage, great name, writes trashy romance novels starring a fictional mega hottie hero named Dash. Ooh. Ooh. Loretta has fallen out of love with writing due to the death of her husband. Due to convoluted reasons, <laughs> they're very <laughs> convoluted, Loretta accidentally kind of translates words that may help eccentric billionaire Abigail Fairfax, played by uh, Daniel Radcliffe, to find the lost city of a remote island that is said to hide the crown of fire historical piece of jewellery. Her cover model, Alan, sees the kidnapping and gives chase. He calls upon his yoga partner, Jack Trainer, a former naval SEAL turned CIA operative to help locate and save Loretta. There's loads going on in this. You've got, you got to say fair rounds, mate. It's Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum. You know what you're going to get. I quite... I don't mind Channing Tatum, you know. He's he's grown on me as that sort of actor that he can take a laugh, he can take the piss out of himself. I do think we need to elevate him to the Tate. The Tate. Oh, I love that. Not the Taint. No, just <laughs> the, the Tate. Tate. But the problem is here, the film peaks quite early on with the introduction of Brad Pitt as the ultra mega action hero who does all these things. In a scene that I genuinely is... So there's the test, isn't it? The five laugh test, which is mm. the three laugh test. You get them in one scene. And it's Brad Pitt doing all of these mega things as a model, played by Tony Tatum, is following him around this jungle area. Fortunately, it peaks quite early on. After 20 minutes, you've seen the film. You know mm. what's going to happen. Loretta's trying to escape, but she kind of wants to do this. She wants to do this for her lost husband. She wants to do this for herself so that she's not a trashy novel. She wants to basically do something more important with her life. It's after about half an hour, turns into run of the mill. The directors obviously were banking on the audience falling in love with Daniel Radcliffe being so over the top, so eccentric, so villainous that they were like, they've never seen uh, Radcliffe like this before. They'll love it. And I'm not saying he fails. He's just, it's not, it's, it's not good. But it, weirdly, it beat my expectations. And I'll tell you what, it's been a bit of a box office phenomenon. And yeah. what I mean is, it come out of nowhere because a lot of people, and this is Sandy B's drawing power. I went to cinema and it was full. And it'd been in the cinema for two and a half weeks by this stage. And I thought that was ridiculous. Um, it's a film that doesn't, you know, tread new water, doesn't dare to dream. It's very rom-com-y. You get your rom-com. That's it. It's a film that weirdly gave me more than I expected, but I still couldn't class as good. Maybe... Prime example for a film you should watch if you're driving a smart car because <laughs> it's not going to have your attention, but it is just enough to fill the void. Yeah, I was I was intrigued by it mainly for the Daniel Radcliffe angle. Yeah, and I do actually every cast member that you've talked about, I I like the sound of, I like the premise of it. I imagine, and you don't even have to spoil it. I imagine what they're searching for was inside them all along, and they learned mm. a lesson about themselves that they didn't mm. see was right in front of them. Maybe you know, but I I. You know, there's nothing wrong with being formulaic sometimes if it gives you enough action or set pieces or laughter to make it enjoyable. This is on my, when it comes out on home viewing, I will watch it the moment it's yeah. exclusive. Like it's when it's premieres on Sky Cinema or whatever, I'm there. It was all right. Um, before we get on to our top 10 list, and I've seen a couple of movies this week, actually. Neither that I'm going to talk about in as much detail as that there, but I did check out The Night Clerk, which is now on... Uh, Netflix. It's a Ty Sheridan movie. Uh, Ty Sheridan, you may remember from, if you haven't seen Joe, the Nicolas Cage movie, mm. um, he was in that film, which was excellent. Played a young Cyclops in, you know, the X-Men first class movies. Um, quite an interesting bloke. Um, he was also in Ready Player One, the big Spielberg hit. Um, <laughs> Anna Diarmas. Oh, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, and Helen Hunt, who I haven't seen for a while. Oh, Helen Hunt. Yeah, so... Bit of a Helen Hunt sighting. Yeah, you know, and and, um, who I didn't know was in it until it started was John uh, Luguziama as well, who I thought, 
I haven't seen you since I watched Super Mario Brothers recently. Oh my God, that's not a good filmography. Well, he's in, the, he's in three scenes in this movie, and oh, that's infinitely it. better than the Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. Um, yeah, so this movie is called The Night Clerk. It's about a uh, nighttime uh, clerk of a hotel. Um, he's got Asperger's, he's highly intelligent, but he does work the night shift. Um and he becomes the suspect in a murder investigation when he has clocked off for the evening, but reappears after a murder, which questions why was he back in the building? Should now, never come back. Well, it's no secret. It's in the trailer. The character has rigged a certain room with cameras. And so he saw the the murder and tried to intervene and come back. Now that's in the trailer. That's not a spoiler. What happens next is, you know, the, um, and I will say this is genre bending. It's, it's titled itself as a murder, mystery, drama, romance, um, smorgasbord thriller film. And the problem is it never really lands on any one of those things and becomes almost a bit mismatched. I do like Ty Sheridan's performance. Now I, don't know Asperger's. And so I don't, I can't comment on whether it's a realistic interpretation. Mm. Um, certainly uh, what I saw of it and what I do know my limited experience of Asperger's is I think Ty Sheridan really does connect with this character's Bart character, this uh, night manager character. Um, but then the introduction of Anna de Armas as a potential love interest, or is she there for a reason? You know, the there's the murder mystery of what happened in that room. What I couldn't get away from, and again, it's in the trailer, so it's no spoiler, it's the thing that pulls you in, is why he's rigged a room full of cameras. And it tries to give you a bit of a reason. He's not a sex pest. He's not... Oh, there's an actual not, reason why he's a creep. Like, he might not be a creep. Yeah, <laughs> right. but, but it doesn't justify. So, oh, okay. So he's a creep. Yeah, so you've got, you've got this, like, voyeurism, like, idea behind him, you know, and is he using it because... Um, you know, he goes home and watches the videos and practices what he should say, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, I quite but, like that though in a but film. It, yeah, but do that by filming the hallway, not the bedroom of the person. That's, yeah, and, that's you know, true, yeah. Of the, of the lovely Anna the Armas when she goes just, in that room. Just talk to people. It's, <laughs> just wait, hello. Well, well, that's the Asperger's <laughs> yeah, part no, of it, it, you know what I mean? So it's it's one of them where it doesn't matter where the film went, I couldn't get over that barrier <laughs> of, so what, we're just going to let that bit go that <laughs> he's got these cameras yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, um, so it's not bad movie it's just very fit into the episode it's just middle of the road i did i did go into it with way more expectation of you know i, I don't know what it is it's the title that night clerk you know night shift night worker those it's, it's a it's a it's playground like, for you know bad things happening you know and the person who every day is the same nothing happens on the night shift and then one day something does happen and it's got that that inviting angle but um yeah, the tagline is someone's always watching and it's and it's him in front of nine TV screens. And so I thought it was going to be so really sinister. And it, and it was. It, it kind of overlooks that. Yeah, yeah, it kind of overlooks it. So it doesn't it doesn't land. What I did though also see, if I, if I may just introduce another movie, Please, of course I'm going can. to be very, very quick with this one as well. On Netflix also released recently in the 90 minutes or less section. And I will say this movie comes Oh my comes God, in. I didn't realise that existed. Oh, it does, James. I think they listen to this podcast. Oh my God. I think Netflix is listening. And I'll tell you, Netflix, pat on the back for Frank Grillo's Wheelman, which is a Netflix Ooh. film from 2017. Um, I had never heard of it until no. it appeared in the 90 minutes section. I'm a big Frank Grillo fan. I'm, I'm a big 90 minutes fan. <laughs> I'm beginning to think Frank Grillo is one of my favourite actors. With you, I think I think such a consistency, such consistency, and he doesn't. Do you know when those? You know, like The Rock will hype up a shit film. Mm. Frank Grillo just strikes me as a person who just loves making film. Yeah, he's not like I just. I just want to do it. I'll give my all. 
This is one of the movies where if you're fans of single location or minimalistic um, films, this is right up your alley. You know, this is Frank Grillo behind the wheel of a car. He's the wheelman. He's the getaway driver. Mm. This film starts off him going to collect the car that he's using for the job. Um, you know, a distinguishable car that he's unhappy with because obviously it's meant to be an inconspicuous vehicle to get away from a crime scene. Um, he goes to pick up two people that he does not know. He's there. He's the contract driver to get away from a, a bank robbery doesn't want to make friends. This is purely a job. And then, so he drives up to the bank. Again, this is all in the trailer. This is the premise of the movie. And as the two are in the bank doing the robbery, and it is at nighttime, the bank's doing this kind of like, it looks like an after work party kind of thing. It gets a call or unknown phone call mm-hmm. through on his, on his headset. So he answers it. And it's a person saying, the two people you've just dropped off at the bank, Ooh. when you take them to the safe zone, are going to kill you. So when they put the money in the trunk, drive off with it. Ooh. And in about 10 seconds, you ha- you're you with Grillo in that front seat of what do you do? Because he's paid to do a job. He's a man fresh out of prison. He's a man who needs the money, but also he needs to stay in the industry. So if he double crosses anyone or if he, you know, it, it could be detrimental. You know, it could be, you know, a, a death sentence for himself. Um, you know, and what happens actually then is he does drive away, does leave them. And then, but then does he trust the person on the other end of the phone? Or is this someone who's double crossing them? Is this someone who's intercepted the heist? And are they actually the real handler? Yeah. And it becomes a real, real interesting uh, 80 minute Frank Grillo oh, movie. Gold tier, mate. Yeah. Where it's just really, I thought it was, you know, such a little hidden ditty gem, you know, that, you know, this is all about the mediocre this week, but actually this is, this is going in not great. It's not going to win, <laughs> a, it's not going to win awards, but it had my attention for those 80 minutes, James. That sounds like a bit perfect, mate. So yeah, Wheelman's really good. If you like Frank Grillo. I do um, like my Frank Grillo. Yeah, check it out. Like I say, it does the best it can um, with a very limited cast and with a um, very confined space. It's essentially in a car. And it's not like the camera work is in the backseat front seat. It's basically passenger side of Frank Grillo for the entire movie. Well, that's cool. It is pretty interesting. What Long shots? A couple, yeah, but for the most part, you are an audience member in the car with him, yeah. Oh. So when you see things, a lot of it is from, you know, the, the rear view mirror or from looking out the that back. Sounds, that sounds different. And it's it good. sounds like after 80 minutes, that wouldn't annoy you as like if it had gone on for like two and a half this hours. This is the point, yeah. It's films like Phone Booth. They don't have to say they're welcome. There's only so long you can be in that phone booth <laughs> with Colin Farrell before it starts to smell. You know, <laughs> and uh, and this is the same with Will Man. I thought I thought it was a good movie with Frank Grillo, and he does. Frank Grillo is he's, he's acting against a voice on the other end of a phone for the majority of the movie, and he's having to he's having to juggle between the person that gave him the job, the handler who he doesn't know if they're real or not, the people that he's just betrayed and left at the crime scene, um, the daughter who says she's going out when she's grounded, and he's juggling these phone calls. And, you know, changing his character, changing his tone, changing his approach. Frank Grillo is, and this is a real weird compliment. Mm-hmm. He really pulls off swearing. Oh, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a bit where this guy calls him and he doesn't even speak to him. He just answers, he goes, fuck off. And just, <laughs> and it's just like, he's one of them like, it's just really good. Frank Grillo is awesome. He's such a fucking good actor. Good for you. So good. Well done, Frank. Not not great. I'm not, I'm not put up there with the greats. But I, uh, I, I got more out of the 80 minutes I thought I was going to get. Fair enough. For, for next week, I've got The Bubble and uh, How It Ends. No, they're not good films. Yeah, I'm going to watch The Bubble. Okay. You won't have fun. All right. Don't watch How It Ends. 
you were on a fun. Which one's how it ends? Who's in it? Um, that's why Forest Whitaker's got to go cross country. Yeah, I've hovered on. Yeah, it's weird. I've hovered on both of these. Yeah. The bubble, though, just because of the, the cast. The looks cast, good. mate. That's one of the letdowns I've seen in this week. Karen, so, Karen uh, Gillian's in there. Gillian. Karen Gillian. So, do you know what I've been doing this week? I haven't been watching them all. I have been cherry picking Marvel films. I've got Disney Plus now. And I, because I'm some stuff in my life, I don't want to start a new TV series. But I've been cherry picking. And do you know what? Who comes out the best of that? Karen Gillian. So I've mm. obviously watched the Avengers, the, the end game series. She, as a character work, is brilliant. And she holds the last film because she's in it twice. You know, that sort of thing is really cool. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's been a really weird time to watch these films because obviously the next phase is about, I know it's, it's already started, but I think a lot of starting points are going to be answered in the next coming months with Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. So I'm worried about the heroes they've got in it. I don't think it's strong enough. Mm. So, you know, let's see what happens. But anyway. What do you think of the fourth trailer? I loved it, but at the same time, it's, I think it's, I think it's, no, I loved it. No, I, you know what? No, I did love it. I, I don't really care for Natalie Portman's character, but I love Natalie Portman. So fuck I, it. Go, I, go I, for actually, it. I actually really like the idea of it. I, I think the premise, I, I could be completely wrong. I don't know anything. I don't know Taika Waititi. I don't know Chris Hemsworth. Shock. But <laughs> what? I hope. <laughs> Hold the phone. Um, but I do, I do think, I hope that it's going down a really interesting character, uh, really interesting storyline for four in that, Yes, there'll be battles, there'll be a villain, there'll be a, you know, overcoming, you know, the 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 suppression of some new villainous leader in Christian yeah. Bale, you know. But I also it's hope it's about him. I also <laughs> hope it's him dealing with the idea that he's not the only worthy. You know, yeah. we had Chris M, uh, Chris Evans picking up Milner. We now have um, Natalie, Natalie Portman, Portman as for Kind of like reforged it because obviously you see it it's cracked and it's been put back together. Yeah. And we're, now we've also got multiple timelines and everything. Yeah. So God knows it's, it could be an alternative uh, version of Natalie Portman's character. Um, Jane, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, but it, I, I, it looks like it's a it's looking inwards at the character, which is good because four's always been about projecting outwards, isn't yeah. it? So it's been the most we got strangely was in Ragnarok. Uh, and then you deal with him in Endgame where he's like lost his best friend and his mom and his dad and his brother. It's really cool. I, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. I am excited. My problem is I'm really not that looking forward to the next phase of all these things, but I'm done with like DC and everything. But anyway, I'm going to get to You say that, James, that. but then like I'm off to the flame. I will go. I'm there to see yeah. madness. What would you do madness for me? We'll see. So we're going to do our top 10 movies. So not top 10, just 10. It's just, just 10. 10. It's just, just 10. 10. We don't want to go top because that would be glorifying these movies. It's not about glorifying. These are just... Oh, slagging them off too much. Yeah, this is just, just a mere 10. It's, it it's, it's not 10. top 10 by any standards because if I had more time, I'd probably rewrite this whole thing. Oh, that's the thing is I would definitely relist. I would do that as well. Yeah, because I think anyone lists their top favourite films or their least favourite films, you have some heavy hitters. When you go with what's your... Name me 10 mediocre ones. There's a lot to choose from. Definitely. So this is just a random... 10 that I've come up with and a random 10 you've come up with. Is that fair? It is fair. I'm looking at it now and I've just changed one because I had like substitutes, but I've just changed it. So you go, <laughs> I go. Do you want to do the first one? I will go the first one, mate. Um, and I'm going to start with, I don't think it's that controversial. No, it is controversial. I'm going to start here. When I'm driving, I need a film that I can ignore, but, the, but I can jump into it. So basically a storyline is actually going to go against this because there might be a 20 minute where I'm doing on a roundabout or, you know, sucking, you know, doing something. So I need a film where it's got no storyline. I can just jump right into it. George Fowler did a famous film where he played a famous mobster, where he played Gotti. And do you know what, mate? It's just a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. And this is the only one I've really got that's a really bad movie. Because I like it, it's got enough to have me introduced to it because because the storyline's not there, mate. I'll jump out and I can jump back in. Also, I can't know off my heart because I watched it a lot. So 
it's a film that I feel like wouldn't, I personally would enjoy. This is the only one I'll say for me. This is for me, not for you. Mm. This is for me. But I do have an alternative in case you didn't like that. Dick Tracy. <laughs> yeah, that's the middle of the road. <laughs> I was going to say, if you guys too bad for you, substitute with Dick Tracy. Mm. It's long, there's enough of it. There's enough to make you go, hmm, but ultimately no one gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I start off with Guy purely because for me, it would have enough for me. But if God, it's too much for you, it's too bad. It's or too, too little. Or, or too good, <laughs> which no one's complaining about. Go with Dick Tracy. Yeah. Madonna getting shot in the face. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> Move on. Al Pacino. It is Al Pacino. It's also Dustin Hoffman, who's two weeks. Bear in mind, we never talk about Dustin Hoffman two weeks in a row. Uh, I've gone for a proper middle of the road movie yeah. with an actor that actually much of his latter career has become middle of the road, you know, straight to DVD, straight to, um, you know, streaming services. And that's not anything against the man. It's because the man loves making films. So he'll make any film that they throw at him. That is of course the great Nick Cage. <gasps> but in 2009, he made, he made a movie where he played John Kostler, an MRT professor whose son uncovers a time capsule with a list of seemingly random numbers that is until John uh, figures out that the list sets out every past, present, and future catastrophe and disaster. I am, of course, talking about knowing from 2009. I still haven't seen it. Are you not? No. I, I, I've, no, I want to see it. It's always on Netflix. It's mm. always like it's always there in the section that says, please watch me. <laughs> and I know what it's about. The problem is I know what it's about. So yeah. I've got no interest. In it. I know how the film ends. I know everything about the film. So why would I watch it if someone's told me? That's my mindset. I know one day I will watch it. Mm. Um, but I'll know This is why happens. it's middle of the road. It's because the concept's interesting. Mm. Time capsule unleashes all these um, events. Not only the, the coordinates, but also the casualties. So it's, it's got, again, we talked about this last week about films that have interesting premises, but do they do actually anything with it? You know, you think of a movie like Death Note as one, and the American version of Death Note. That that film, you know, is, is about playing God, you know, in the question of free will. What yeah. do they do with it? They make a mediocre movie that everyone who's a fan of the anime series absolutely fucking hates. Um, knowing to me is that in the sense that it has a really interesting concept, but it doesn't really know what to do with it because, right, let's say Nick Cage uncovers a list of, you know, the coordinates, the dates and the number. What's he going to do? <laughs> what is he actually going to do? And this is, this is summed up when he drives out to one of the coordinates and it's, how is he going to stop a plane crash does from he, the ground. Does he catch it? <laughs> well, that's the point. So very early on in this movie, you realise he's not going to do fuck all. It's not like he's a superhero that's just given the keys to the fucking future. You know, he's got this list, but bogger if he's going to be able to do anything about it. And then it's only before long we realise the last number is everyone. There's going to be a world-ending event. So I go back to my point. What's he going to do? The movie then really loses it, and it tries to have a kind of ending that's somewhat odd and different yeah oh, I didn't think it was going to go there and then when you're leaving the cinema you think god I wish it didn't go there <laughs> but that's not to say it's bad because again the premise was still interesting enough so to me knowing it's not bad Nick Cage it's not you know um, it's it's not so, it's, it's weirdly like jujitsu or something like that it's weirdly safe Cage <laughs> it's safe Cage <laughs> which right. is weird the cage the cage is closed not locked Ooh. but the cage is closed in this instance knowing is the perfect for me the number like my first opening yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's it is, what it is all right. Next, I went, I went a big sci-fi, mate. I wanted sci-fi. I wanted some different ones, but this didn't last that long. Um, so I was thinking sci-fi. What genre of films do I really like? Well, Star Trek. You like Star Trek? Star Wars. Mm. I like Sunshine. Sci-fi yeah. is a really big one to me. So I was like, well, what's the film that I always, always I look at it and I go, I don't know if I hate you or if I like you. The ultimate 
pinch of the eyeball, mate. The ultimate, will they, won't they? On the planet of Naboo, mate, there's a trade delegation. Somehow, Star Wars. It's Star Wars episode one, A Phantom Menace. Because, mate, I've watched all the Star Wars films, watched them all. But this is the one I always come back to because I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's sheer or if it's really good. So I obviously didn't do episode two because I would have died in that car. I wouldn't have fallen asleep, mate, and I'd driven into the back of another car. The third one to me, I, I don't like. I, it's like they tried to save all the problems with lightsabers. But that first one, mate. The prequel trilogy has its issues. As a Star Wars fanatic, I will say it does have its issues. But that first one, mate, you can't say it's good, but at the same time, it's not as bad as the other two. So I, I get that logic, but I do stand by it's still good. Oh no, I disagree. I agree with everything you're saying. That you know, I think I think years after the success of the Star Wars original trilogy, Lucas is like fucking out kids these days. <laughs> they want a they trade a good, delegation. They love a good trade war. Hey, let's <laughs> let's start the film with a blockade and two uh, two. Two diplomats going over there to, to try and sort it out. Well, what's really weird is the film also takes a detour from itself where they spend an hour on a different planet. That's which, a bit which, with, which yeah. genuinely doesn't, if they didn't do that, wouldn't have changed the story at all. Yeah, if you take out the pod racing bit, because that slows that movie down in the middle of the film and actually made it a, a 60 minute film, I would quite enjoy it. If they go, if they go to. If they, go they left and went straight there. Yeah, can we take the kid? Yeah, cool, dumb. You know I mean? If the kid had just been there, it would have been fine. It was but, like, oh, there's a kid here. I've come to like it a lot more growing older and it's a lot of it. And I think I've talked about this before. Now that they have, um, what's his name? Dave, uh, oh, what's his name? Dave Fellini um, doing a lot of the writing after the Clone Wars animated oh, okay. show. Yeah. I think that's his name. Is it Dave Fellini? Cowboy hat wearing, abs- you know, the, mm. the, what they're saying is the new Godfather of Star Wars saved it after the prequel trilogy. Um, you know, the, 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 a lot of him describing it and talking about it with passion and about how, Jewel of the Fates, the, you know, the John Williams score was all about whoever wins that fight between Gwygon and Darth Maul would decide the fate of Anakin. And yeah. that's why it's called Jewel of the Fates. And that's the whole premise of the film. It boils down to a fight scene. That is more interesting. But the film didn't give me that. No, it didn't. I had to wait for someone 20 years later to tell me that that's what that film was about. Also, this film genuinely to me brings out one of the worst plots, not worst plots, but it's the whole idea that, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi can say, I've got the high ground. You can't beat me, Anakin. When he literally threw himself over someone who had the high ground, it's like memory. It exists. No, but yeah, I, I, get, I get that in the third movies. I have the high ground, but he beat Darth Maul from the low ground. Yeah. He also took out Grievous from the low ground. Yeah, it's just like, mate, mate, remember things. <laughs> there's also, this is, to talk about Star Wars, if you're a Star Wars fan, there's a, um, there's a lot of Clone Wars that left, that was left on the cutting room floor. Mm. They took out to get, to get its rating down. So, um, one of them, so uh, Django's death scene yeah, with uh, uh, Mace Windu, he so, sliced him up proper before he cut his head off and they they, they, they shorten that down. And the other one is um, Grievous's death. So yeah. Obi-Wan proper like took arms off and, and crushed his remaining organs before killing him. And then yeah, they dubbed it in the final version to um, to what it was. But poor. Poor <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm going to go two for two. If it got his bad... I'm sorry for criticising you, Liz. That's but right, in my right. eyes, I think... I think that's, but that's the thing with Liz, mate. They're subjective. They are. <laughs> that's it. And, and if you have a subjective view, go to Twitter. Well, feel free to criticise my next choice. As number two. My, oh, all right, films. It's all right. Not great. Not brilliant. Not rubbish. Can't believe you don't think Star Wars Episode 1 is the epitome of... Is what? <laughs> no, because they have lightsaber scenes and the score and... 
the introduction. That's the, that's the, great. That's all good stuff. Mm. But all the stuff that's bad, it levels it out. I can mate. see. The, I can see why you think it level it out. But to me, it just it just tears on good. All right, hit, hit me with your number nine, brother. The terminal. Yeah. From 2004. Oh, no, you see, don't like that film. So to me, that would be too bad. Yeah. So it's Victor uh, Navarroski, played by Tom Hanks, and this gets stranded in an airport when a war rages in his home country. He's forced to stay in the airport until his identity is confirmed. This is average Hanks, average Spielberg, average Tushi in a saccharine sweet tale that should have been so much more. Again, a concept. It's very interesting. That would draw me into a cinema to see the tale of a person who's stranded, homeless, no identity, no country to call his own, no home. And how he's treated, how he's, uh, you know, having to live in a loophole of the system, i.e. he can't leave the airport because he's not, he doesn't have a visa, he's not got American citizenship, so therefore he must stay in it. In fact, the true life event that this was inspired from, the chap stayed in the airport for 18 years. That's mental. That's how long this film felt. <laughs> and it's only two hours and four minutes long, I think it is. Um, would have worked really well as a short movie, I think. Yeah. You know, obviously not in the hands of Spielberg and, and Hanks, but, you know, or as a documentary documentary definitely the, the film the film is interesting and Hanks I think does really well you've got Catherine Zeta-Jones obviously as well um, and again it's the Hanks plays a very sweet character Victor is a very welcoming character something that Hanks does very well the film never goes anywhere literally you know like the airport itself it is confined to a feeling and emotion all the through it never goes above that emotion never teeters below it and for me it was just all the way through just simmering at its terminal pace. <laughs> simmering at simmer. <laughs> it was. It was. It was a tepid bath. This was. It's not good. But what I what I think we need to do is we need to start a podcast because I'm fairly certain it's the last film I ever saw Catherine Zeta Jones. <laughs> what did you do with her? Searching for Zeta. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I'm not proud of this next one, mate. Mm. My number eight hurt me to put this down here. Sportsman. We love him as a society. We love him. They're our heroes. We do everything with him. What about a hockey player? Well, what about if this hockey player had an anger problem when they changed sports and they went to golf? Yeah, happy Gilmore in it. I'm happy Gilmore in it. Adam Sandler, happy Gilmore, which to me, when we were talking about films that I'm there, Adam Sandler was my man. I knew I was having a Sandler film in here. Why this one? Because it's probably his best work, which is why it's still just all right. <laughs> yeah, actually, I agree with all this. Yeah, yeah, so happy Gilmore, he's got laughs in it. But if I'm driving a car... I'm genuinely not going to be two to this. If I'm stuck in traffic, I'll gander. If I don't need to, I'll gander. But it, this is the epitome of a film that will not hold my attention this is for the, that long. This, I think this is the best Sandler movie. Yeah, so do I. I think it is. I think, other than, oh, you take out like Uncle Gems and... Um, oh my God. Imagine if you were driving a car and watching Uncle Gems, you'd have a panic gosh, attack. Yeah. I'd get out and start running. <laughs> i get out and start running to slow my heart rate. <laughs> what I, but I just thought, Happy Gilmore, what... This is the epitome. Funny enough, mm. but not too funny. <laughs> okay enough, weird random product placement. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's but, you know, a lot of like shooting McGabin, Carl Weathers character yes. in it's really good as well. I do like the the dream sequence as well where Carl Weathers is playing the piano. Has I got my hand back? It's only just bigger. <laughs> so yes, I think enough... Enough with Happy Gilmore. It's just perfect enough. Do, do you like the Ben Stiller cameo as well? It's just he's like a using, he's using the um, the the retirement home guests as a, as a sweatshop. <laughs> <laughs> can I get, can I get, sorry, sir. Can I get a warm glass of milk? No, can I trouble you for a warm glass of milk? You could trouble me for a glass of shut the hell up. <laughs> My God, do you think it's too good? No, I mean Ben Stiller no, right. shines in an otherwise meh movie. No, I, Happy Gilmore is the best of the bunch, and yeah, I, okay, I, I like that. Gilmore's a good choice. To me, um, 
off the back of 2012's Total Recall reboot, now in a time with advanced visual effects and all-star cast, we have Michael Keaton, Gary Oldman, Sam Jackson, Joel Kinnaman in what should have been the hit oh. of the RoboCop reboot in 2014. The reboot of RoboCop would work well in this uh, year because, as I say, the advances. It was a gateway to Marvel movies, um, which Marvel movies, I think, of that time as well, great special effects and great visuals, bringing in great cast and attracting really top caliber people to these action movies, but not really having a lot of substance. And this Robocop to me is that, I didn't think it was bad. I think, I think any movie, and this thing with reboots, I'm not against reboots. I think you have to pass the torch. Yeah. You know, Star Wars is not made for me anymore. You know, it's the sequel trilogy, going back to them, is made for a younger audience. Robocop, we, you know, it's not for the people that went to see it in the eighties. We have to, it has to pass on to the next generation. So it wasn't bad. The concept's still there, you know, that a good cop, you know, turned into a machine to fight crime in the dirty streets of Detroit against corruption. But for me, the, there was a bit of a crime against cinema with this movie. Genuinely disagreeing with you. I think it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> See, I don't think it was. I think there's still enough. The only bits I liked was the Samuel L. Jackson being the news reporter, like the right wing news reporter going, you know, talking about them putting the machines in other countries. That's really cool. Michael Keaton, I could not give a flying toss about when he's in his mansions talking about, and the fact that he quite clearly had two days to film. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, uh, and, and that, Oldman needed a new kitchen. Yeah. Kin Kinnaman, I think, is a bit unfair because this, I think this was the breakout role that didn't really give it to yeah. him. But that would come, obviously, Suicide Squad and other movies. Um, really didn't like as well this whole thing about lag. You know, mm. it's like he's quicker as a machine because it took away from the, is a machine, you got a soul. It was like the purpose. But you know what? You're right. You're right. You, you are actually nailed on the head. It's not remade for me. I saw mm. my Robocop. And let's be honest, they weren't... And that, they would, that they wasn't good. Be, they would be perfect for this fucking list. I haven't got it. I did yeah. have Robocop 2 for a while, but then I was just like, no, I actually like it too much. <laughs> yeah, Robocop we have, is, is, is that weird thing where we all like it way more than we should because mm. it's gory, it's violent, it's, you know, silly, and at the same time, it's uh, serious. But, you know, he's not a functional robot in those first <laughs> movies. And at least at least they tried to slimline slim him. But I don't like the change of his iconic look. But again, that's a me thing. It's, you yeah. know, you have to pass the baton. There was some good visual effects in it, you know, and I think Robocop deserves to live. I think that character deserves to live on. That's why I don't hate the movie, but I'm not going to champion it as saying it was good. For me, Robocop, the 2014 reboot was just, meh. I mean, it didn't get a sequel, so there you go. Mm. But it still exists in its own entity for those that maybe don't know about the 80s original. So yeah, it, to me, it's a middle of the road movie. I could have had Total Recall. To be fair, I was at Total Recall before I switched over to this. Oh, I know the fans are going to hate this one, mate. I'm really sorry because you might, I think you might side to me on this one. If I tell you this cast list and the mediocrity that they delivered, this was on in your car, you'd be perfectly fine with it. Mm. It's not going to excite you. It's not going to bore you. It's just, it exists. There's good bits, there's bad bits, but the good bits are really good. And the bad bits, wow, they're really bad. Well, I think it evens out. So for my next film, what if I told you Bill Starsgard was in it? Mm -hmm. What if I told you Jessica Chastain was on it? Oh, what if yeah. I told you James McAvoy and Bill Hader on it? It sounds like a great cast. But mm. what they delivered in It Chapter 2, when the Losers Club receive a call from their friend that Pennywise is back, they decide to honour their promise, which they forgot about, mm. and now remember, and they go back to their old town to fight evil 
for the final time in a terrible ending sequence. And it, everything about this film is okay. It's mm. just okay that Bill Hader being attacked by a giant lumberjack is laughable, but at the same time, there are some genuine skits. Bill Starsgard is is very good as Pennywise, but offset against these just basically poor shit storytelling. For the issues, the first one was so good. And the first one had that Goonies, Stranger Things. They did that really well. Know, they tapped into that it. perfectly. Yeah. Had the um, days of, you know, uh, days gone by kind of feel to it. Young kids stepping up to do what the adults couldn't do. The best of King. Mm. The worst of King is endings. Yeah. And so it, chapter two, which is predominantly about how that was going to sum up in, you know, and don't get me wrong, it's not as bad as the book. Yeah. There's no space turtle or, or underground orgy scene. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But it, yeah, it is a bit of an issue, you know, the end of um, it. I don't, I knew, I knew going into it, they were never going to make the ending good. Yeah, from, from being a fan of the book. Yeah. But to me, it was it was it was a letdown. But at the same time, it wasn't too bad that I'm gonna. We didn't put it in the hole. We didn't put it in the vault. To be to us, when we watched it, it was a very middle of the road. As horror films go, I wanted a horror film in there. Mm. Um, it I, starts really graphic. It starts with a very brutal beating yeah. and um, very uncomfortable scene, and then followed by I think the mediocrity. The, <laughs> well, then then the death of one of the characters from the younger group, and then obviously then they get coming together round table scene you know, we were introduced to the adult cast and, but from that moment, Bill Hader leads the pack, Yeah, you know, and he, and he, but which is odd because I'm a fan of Jessica Chastain and fan of James McAvoy, a fan of the whole cast really. Um, but yeah, it, I, I'll agree with you. That was just, yeah. Mm. So I went in chapter two. For me, um, again, all star cast, Bruce Willis, John Markovich, Helen Mirren and Morgan Freeman. I'm going red. Uh, that is a good shout though. Red was also, I was thinking, on my list. Yeah. So but I think I might have liked it too much. Inspired by the graphic novel, it's about a retired spy slash assassin who's bored and lonely when he's pulled back into the game, into the field. Red stands for retired and extremely dangerous. It's got laughs, it's got action sequences. It sits together with wool and PVA glue in a film that just gets us to the end. Just. Just. And there's enough along the way to make it exciting. Well, John Markovich steals the show. You know, and John Markovich, when he chews scenery, I want nothing left. I want him to go for it. And I think this is one of the movies where he does that great. Helen Mirren, you know, and is great. And when she does these films, like she's introduced now in the Fast and the Furious franchise, good, I want more Mirren. But <laughs> together, the four, you know, with Morgan Freeman and Bruce Willis as well, I was expecting so much more in this film that was just average by the end of it. It was, it, yeah. It I, wasn't I, great. It wasn't bad. It was just average. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame as well. When you talk about cast, and I did a really good job of the aging, <clears throat> the aging hitman, and they're all very good. Like I really do like Morgan Freeman and John Malkovich, but weirdly, there's not nothing on. Mm. There's not enough of them. They did have chemistry, but I don't think they've used it well. And I'm a fan of storylines and characters and ideas that center around the outside the mainstream age. So we talk about this quite a lot. That in cinema. 16, 17 to about 28 is your mm. prime time. Yeah. Actors and actresses, <clears throat> you know, are, you know, um, utilizing that part of their career. And then roles do dry up and you do, you know, fall in line with some of the more kind of, you know, with the headmaster, you know, the parent, you know, the, and you give way to the younger generation. You, acting does sometimes have a timeline. Mm. I imagine acting is one of the hardest careers to get into. And I imagine it's even harder to have a lifelong career in that acting as well. I champion movies when they come out where they are centered around an older cast yeah. um, or a younger cast or, you know, but to me, a bit different. Yeah. To me, red was one of the films where that was its, if that was its unique selling point, it, it, it still wasn't as unique enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think if you were to Google 
average, you'd find a film. A sequel again. I think a lot of these could be sequels. Mm. Lorraine Gray. Who's that? It doesn't matter. Move on. Roy Schneider. What? No, you are. Is it time to go back to Amity Island? Is it time to go back and find a shark? It's perfectly balanced between the masterpiece that was Jaws and the dog shit show that was Jaws 3, which was my original choice, but I just, you know what I said afterwards? I was going to, I was changing my That is bad. Yeah. That is bad. Is Jaws 3 the revenge? No, that that's four? four. That's Michael Caine. Yeah. That one's never in it. The third one's in a park with Dennis Quaid. That's why I was like, you've got to have a bit of I Quaid. I do remember that, yeah. But the second one, when, Rob Schneider, when Roy Schneider didn't want to do this job and they forced him into it, you got a run-of-the-mill story retold again of why a shark would once again <laughs> come back. A story that's lazy. A, a, a crew that just didn't care. Everyone who wanted it abandoned. There's, you know, they've gone. The new director, mate. New director, oh God, I've written it down, is Jeanette Schwartz. They weren't interested. You know, Spielberg had gone. <laughs> He'd done his thing. He went from masterpiece that you could say brought about the definition of the summer blockbuster. Mm. And in this sequel about why do they keep coming back? It's because of underground electric lines, mate. It's a... Oh, it's this one I do. do. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 oh, sorry. Do. Did you, were you trying to remember which one it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember the ending now. It's the one where it's nothing always, exciting happens. So how do they kill the shark? That's always the way you define yes. the movie. Well, this is the one where they move the electricity while it's about to buy a kid yeah. and he ends up eating the electricity yeah, and then it explodes yeah. because that's how electricity works. Science. Science. So again, not as bad as Michael Caine trying to bang, <laughs> trying to bang one whilst a shark actively tries to ruin the film because everyone else said Michael, that. Michael Caine has the best quote about Jaws 4. Yeah, because he, yeah. he says, I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the kitchen it bought. <laughs> Which I mean, he's like, <laughs> that's brilliant. It is brilliant. And you can tell, but for me, Jaws 2, epitome of, mm. you're not the excitement of the first one. You're going to be sitting there in terror. You're going to be like, just like you were, which one's this? Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, number five, so I'm halfway. And I knew I was going to throw some Tom Cruise in there because Tom Cruise has done some stinkers. He also has done the the the, the, the films that push the boundaries of action. You know, and I'm not a Tom Cruise fanatic, but I do think he is action. Like, mm-hmm. he, he set out to do a goal and become the biggest action star in the world. And I think he has done it. And I think he's held the crown, you know, personal till, life, till whatever. But, well, yeah, but you could argue Will Smith, you know, whatever. Mm. But Tom Cruise continues to push himself, um, you know, with his action movies. But he has done some meh movies. And yeah, it was yeah. a toss-up. There were four that I could choose from. And any given day, I could have had Made in America, um, yeah. could have had Oblivion, Night and Day, are all movies that I was like, eh, there's nothing in it to be entertaining, but not enough for me to say it's top-tier Cruise. But I had to settle on a movie that I can only describe as it was film. <laughs> and that was Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Oh, I a never title, go back. A title very fitting for the 2016 <sighs> sequel to uh, the Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise era. So the drama around Tom Cruise playing Reacher had died down. We accepted it. Because yes. the first one was good. Yeah, the first one had enough to it. I think Werner uh, Herzog helped that first movie, I'll be honest. And it had a kind of, it had a, an essence to it, like the movie Walking Tall had with The Rock, about just being a strong guy, the strongest guy in town, taking names and reclaiming, pushing out the villains. It has that that American underdog feel to it. You know, that he's not a superhero. He's not a lawman. Just someone who takes matters into their own hand. Okay. The first Jack Reacher one was all right. <laughs> he's one of the better books as well to be inspired off, which is the, the long shot film. But never go back. He has to come and save one of his ex-colleagues, a major who is on trial and arrested for treason and he has to clear her name. <laughs> it Sorry. is very, 
Yeah. There's enough reacherisms in there, you know, about him being the the tough guy, you know, the you know, the the guy who drinks coffee, eats when he, you know, eats big breakfasts and then fucking smacks a load of people around until he gets the names that he wants. And it has that Tom Cruise element to it at the end, you know, he 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 walks away uncut while the villains broke all his legs and all his arms and his neck. And it has that like Tom Cruise feel to it. Mm. But it is pretty forgettable. Mm. I remember a scene on a runway. It's very forgettable. That is about it. Do you know what? I saw the film with you and I forgot that we went to go see it <laughs> until exactly. you were just describing it. Yeah. Sorry. Is that the one where Robert Duvall just randomly shows up at the end? Just I like, it's it's one, just like, that? I need some help. Here's Robert Duvall. <laughs> yeah. Just move on. Um, right, my number five. How have you just done number five? If... I've done five, yeah. No, you should have done four. I'm on five and I went first. No, you've, you've done four. You've done five. I'm sorry. Cotty, Star Wars, Happy Gilmore, It Chapter Two, Jaws Three. This is my number five. This is number six. That's you just named five films. All right, one, two, three, four. Oh, you're right. Sorry, I was. It's my apologies. Next I, week, counting. <laughs> <laughs> right, this one I don't want to spend too much time on, mate, because I've seen it and I've seen it more than once. But if you were to tell me about it, I genuinely couldn't tell you what the storyline was. I could, however, tell you the locations, and I could tell you that the most interesting thing about this film is at the end when the credits roll, Peter Capaldi, who was playing Doctor Who at the time, is listed as The Doctor. That's oh, right. World War Z. I talk about World War Z, a genuinely forgettable film that I couldn't... I know, Mike, I know Matthew Fox is in it at the beginning, and I'm done. A very forgettable film. A very, very... There's good bits, there's bad bits. It. Not for me. It's like Jack Reacher, which, for the record, I thought was genuinely one of the cutest things I've ever seen. I, even <laughs> I hate it. If that film was on that, I'd set fire to the car. But World War Z, I could come back to it, could come back to it. Could ignore I it. Was, I thought what well, was the attention? Uh, it had good effects. Like um, it does. It does have good effects. If I was effects, to rank the zombie movies that I would not want to be in real life in, what was these movies yeah. at the top? Because they run fast, James. But remember this though. Say so, you, so you're watching it, but because there's no storyline, it's easy to drop in and out of. All they do is they go. to The film is location. The movie. It's like mm. how can you fuck up Israel? But that's the book, though, isn't it? The book no, is no, a diary. The, so. the book is like a diary and a thing. So it was never really going to make a film, but like a decent film. And to me, it's an okay film. Uh, yeah, I, I quite like it. I like, I like the, what I like about it is, it is it funnels towards the end. So it starts with hordes of zombies. Worst case scenario, sprinters, mm. hordes of them, and to the point one. where they're jumping off buildings to try and catch a helicopter, and it ends with one in a room. Yeah, and I quite like that transition. I like Brad Pitt. In it. I also like that they spend the majority of the safe people are on a boat, which I tell you time and time again, James. Zombie apocalypse, cruise ship, first place to go. Okay, every time, just not PO ferries one. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> and then for, for me, completely opposite. A very forgettable film. That's that's. It's not bad, mm. but it's not my cup of tea. I, it's something that could hold my attention enough for me to not kill someone of, driving a car. There's a bit that I was really frustrated with. Two things I was frustrated about. One is I guess the ending before it happened. Yeah. Second one was- But the, they don't hide it, do they? They're like world's smartest man. <laughs> yeah. Trips and shoots himself. Not that smart. <laughs> It was that smart with guns. Why am I defending this film? <laughs> I was, I was sorry, I was, I was proper edge of my seat though. Oh, it was yeah. just sorry about the sprinting zombies. And that scene, I'll tell you the scary scene is the bit when they go to the uh, supermarket for medication. Oh, and there's, and there's a guy there yeah. and he's, she's like, look, I just need asthma and medication and it, like, all the addicts and all the kind of the, you know, the, um, the preppers, I guess, are, are hoarding all the meds and everything. And there's that bit where she's stealing and the policeman runs past and she like puts her hand up. Yeah, and he's, and he's got to steal something. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's going to get baby formula. He's going to get baby Which formula. Which again, I was like, shit, you would do, wouldn't you? 
That's a very good idea. But no, no. I know you said all those good things. Nah, not for yeah. me. No. Well, for me, I'm going to go back to Tom Hanks, this time striking with a mullet in, uh, as Robert Langdon, a symbologist caught which, in a... Wait, don't tell me which one. Angels and Demons. No. No, you're it, going to Da Vinci I'm going to Da Vinci Code because yeah. the other two I will say are bad. Inferno and Angels and Demons, I think were Inferno bad. Inferno is terrible. I, I've got a soft spot for Angels and Demons. Mm. I think it's when the priest drives a helicopter and then parachutes out whilst a nuclear bomb maybe goes off on top of the Vatican. <laughs> maybe that's you my good McGregor. point. You McGregor, I remember yeah. reading that book and I remember the line, he aimed for the soft water. <laughs> this is when he fell out of a helicopter without yeah. a parachute. That's good. <laughs> Dan Brown, uh, international worldwide hit. Um, Robert Langdon, the title character, the swimmer with a Mickey Mouse watch shoes involved in a bizarre mystery of murder, enigmas and old religious societies. Ian McKellen, Paul Bettany, uh, Alfred Molina cannot save this movie from what it was. It was a movie Jean that was, was well. yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah, Jean Rousseau, yeah, yeah, mm. a movie that was um, off the back of a, obviously a huge international success. There was only a matter of time before a studio turned it into a feature film. Shot here in Lincoln, some of the I scenes. I was going to say well. extra so points we, for we, that. Yeah, we have a little home home territory in the movie, but ultimately not enough of any of those elements. The murder mystery, the secret societies, none of that was interesting enough. Paul Bettany whipping himself. As the as the hitman monk, I don't know whatever yeah, that hitman was. Monk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just didn't do enough. The mysteries weren't interesting enough. You know, the the uh, the 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 unraveling, the pulling at the threads didn't reveal much of a payoff. I thought it was just it was just okay. It was what it was. Age of Demons, I didn't like, and I thought Inferno was really bad. But, oh, you get that, you know. <clears throat> Which is odd because I love Hanks. I oh, know you do. Da Vinci Code, though, just middle of the road. It is just middle of the road. But is there anything more middle of the road than Kevin James? Well, let's find out as we discuss the 2005 film Hitch, starring Will Smith and Eva Mendes. I thought he was going to go more cop. When you say Kevin James, I no, thought he was going more cop. We said there's, there could be a sequel. So, Alex Hitch, a professional dating expert, helps men woo the women of their dreams, including Kevin James, who's fallen in love with a billionaire heiress. Mm. What will happen as Hitch begins to fall in love himself. I'll tell you what will happen. I won't be that interested. <laughs> it's, I remember seeing this film in a cinema and shrugging. <laughs> it was just like, it's a, it's, it, when we said this film, I was like, there'll be a rom-com in here. I was like, you've got to have a rom-com because they are literally the most eh, films of all time. And Hitch, Will Smith is charming. Even Mendes is charming. Kevin James isn't as irritating as he usually is. But do you know what the film is? It's all right. <laughs> That's it. He's literally the epitome of all right. There's funny bits, but then there's bits where you're thinking, I wonder when this film will end. This, this If I was going to go down the route of Will Smith and I nearly put this movie in, mm-hmm. I would have gone seven pounds as the... No, I haven't yeah. seen it. No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, that, that to me is, because again, I, Will Smith's crusade to get an Oscar. Because you, there's a film that you really hate that he's in. And I always forget which one it Clarel is. Beauty. Oh, that's the one. I always get this and seven pounds confused. So I don't. In concussion. So they're, so they're with a pursuit of happiness. So the the kind of the yeah. ones where. So I don't watch him because one of them's shit and I don't want to risk it. The one yeah. in four chance. I oh no, it's risk- worth watching Clarel Beauty just to see, just because I want to know whether I'm not crazy for thinking that film exists. Oh, okay. But I'm in his I think it's very middle of the road. It's, mm. it's, it's okay. It's all right. You'd, you'd, you'd look away from the mass and you go, huh, that's funny. Kevin James spilled mustard on his tie. <laughs> and then you return to the road. <laughs> I remember that scene. Yeah, there you go. For a moment, sorry, for a moment, I was actually pissed off because of Cloud View. I, I went back there. We've come a long way since that episode. Maybe I will watch Cloud View one day. Oh. 200 episode, mate. No, because I, I, I think I know what we're going to do for that. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, Does it involve a mannequin in me? <laughs> no. Hitch is good. Hitch is a good idea. Oh. That's a, that's, no, no oh, I mean, no, good, for good for this list. Oh, okay, not, cool. not good. I mean, good for this list. 
Um, <laughs> got punched in the face, mate. Tell you what, I do remember about it. Uh, one hour, it was nearly two hours. I really, it's one of the most unnecessary two hour mm. run times ever. I do like it though. Will, Will Smith's this suave, um, you know, ladies' man, but you can't find the one. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost if a really stupid person wrote this. No, I'm only joking. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I, this, this, this to me, I think is the ultimate. I, I was pretty proud with Red and I was pretty proud with um, knowing as. I thought I hit the nail on the head, but this next movie I think is the absolute nail on the head. And and I don't think many people would have seen it. And that is the film We Bought a Zoo. With oh my God, I saw that the other day. Matt Damon yeah, and Matt Damon Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. yeah, they literally buy a zoo. So it is Ron Seal. It's oh exactly my. what they say on the tin. Uh, it's the father and daughter buying a zoo. It's perfectly functional, formulaic and predictable. It never goes beyond anything. So the level of humour the level of emotion, the level of drama, it never raises the bar. It kind of just shows you it and then goes, yeah, this is it. This is all we're doing for this whole film. It's a movie that hangs on into, you know, um, straight to straight to TV film. And it's a true story. And it has that element of unbelievableness that transfers stro- so brilliantly to the big screen. Mm. You know, they buy a zoo. You know, it's, it's not <laughs> so that you do every day. To be you know? fair, they do buy a zoo. They're not lying, James. <laughs> that does happen. Yeah. Can you imagine if they didn't? They didn't oh, what the fuck is happening? He's, 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 the kids are adorable in that film. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of that. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's one of them films where, yes, they're going to come up against the, the you know, the, the lawsuits or whatever it is. But are they, are they just learning more about themselves along the way? Are they going to be a better family by the end of this? It's got all those bits. It is just... It's not Steve Irwin the movie, which is what I wanted at the time. Yeah. You know, the bi- why have we not got that biopic yet? That's one of the most interesting men on the planet. I think that he's being made. It sounds vaguely familiar. You see, when we made this list, mate, we both knew that there was going to be a certain actor in here. And you hit him with knowing, which is fine. Nick Cage. Which oh, is yeah. literally just fine. But a man whose career has straddled the line between eccentric genius and piss poor acting. We know that he's hit that line sometimes. But I disagree with you. I would go go to 1998 during a weird time with Nicolas Cage. He was on top of the world. When he delivered a film so average, people forget about it. Rick Santora is a corrupt cop. And he goes to Vegas to watch a prize fight, mate. But a murder happens. And what you've got is a great uh, great actor in Nicolas Cage and Gary Sinise, Brian Del Palmer. Yeah. What you've got a film is that does not deliver. <laughs> in a film that... It, Weirdly, the setup is so good, you expect greatness, but it lets you down. So relive that dream whilst you're in your Ford Focus going down the M1. Be disappointed again in a film that starts off so brilliantly, but ends so poorly, leaving you perfectly average. <laughs> yeah, see, Nick Cage has them. I thought he was going to go Weatherman. I quite, my problem is I've seen it so long and I do, my fault, I have fond memories of Weatherman, but I remember Snake Eyes is a film that I was, I convinced myself I really liked and then rewatched about like five years ago. I was like, oh, you don't like that. <laughs> Yeah, Snake Eyes, when you get past the concept, the more yeah. angle, did you see what you really saw? Kind of, It, dra- it, grains, it drains on you because halfway through the film, you know Gareth Sinise is a villain because he's Gareth Sinise. But then Nicolas Cage isn't. And so you're just like, <laughs> yep. But then I don't understand when I get the world heavyweight champion of the world to be upon Nicolas Cage. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, did you ever see that movie Vantage Point, which played on yes. that, that same concept? That, of, that'd probably be on this list as well. Yeah. I just... The spoiler that he's still alive was like, yeah, I guess Vantage, that because I've got eyes. I remember, <laughs> they they didn't hide it very well. I remember seeing Vantage Point and um, 
I'm not going to name who it was because I think they listened to the podcast, but I did go watch it with a certain someone who I was like, yeah, I, I, the execution I liked. I like the idea that you saw, you, the film is based on you seeing the same thing four times yeah. from four different sets of eyes and each time it looks like a different person. Yeah. And that person just responded with, yeah, and what you didn't see was actually who the real villain was. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. Like that was, <laughs> that's the whole point of the thing. You missed it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, actually, that is quite middle of the road. But yeah, good pick. Same kind of, mm-hmm. I didn't think that was coming. Uh, I'm going for one that I think is going to anger people, but then they might, I might be able to draw them back around. So okay. bear with me, because I think people automatically say, no, that's not bad. Hey, that's a good movie. Okay. But I think there's also 50-50 split of people that say, no, that was a bad movie. And therefore, that's why I put it in the middle. And that is Terminator Salvation. You, which one's that? The Christian Bale one. Oh, no, I'm a big fan of this one. I like this See, one. I think some people are fans. I, I think some people don't like it, and therefore I think I'm in the middle. Do you know what I love about? Do you know what I love about this period of history? Is who's the other history. guy? Who's the other guy in it? I've recently watched Sam Worthington's in it. Sam Sam Worthington. So I've recently watched um, Avatar in preparation for the sequel and the third one. And it's really weird that Hollywood thought that this man would have a career because he's really bad. He's I'm not joking. He's shit. No more so. In yeah, was he in that Fracture movie as well? That I, I, yeah. I, I was really interested for the first half an hour. And then you're done. And then I was like, oh, this is really boring now. Uh, so weirdly, I like Salvation, but at the same time, it, you do what? It's a good shout. It's mm. both good and bad. That's a good... I just want to just make that clear. Fracture's the one about when he takes his daughter or his son to the hospital and then he's waiting in the waiting room for him to come out of a, an observation because he's mm. hit his head. And then everyone in the hospital's like, you didn't come here with a kid. No, oh, that's that, that movie, a changeling type thing. Thirty minutes in was really good. And then after about an hour, I'm like, "Oh my god, just end this film." <laughs> not, not fracture the Ryan Gosling, oh, Anthony okay. Hopkins movie, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, Two Minutes Salvation sits between the sci-fi giants T1 and T2, but it's nowhere near the embarrassing T3 or Dark Fate. Um, like the franchise itself, it's not the worst. It's not the best. It's in the middle. Christian Bale, Dallas, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Worthington, the late great Anton Yelchin, taken way too young. Give us. The next chapter of our childhood, grown-ups of John Connor, a young Kyle Reese. A few years into the war, some surprising elements, some vehicles, some robots, some machinery we haven't seen before. And then by the end game, we're getting CGI Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. A weird performance by Helena Bowen Carter. Um, and the fresh blood and the new ideas don't take me away from the fact that T1 and T2 are so great. Yeah. Nothing was ever going to meet that. Yeah. You know, and, and so therefore it's not bad. And obviously I think it was clouded by the Christian Bale leaked videotape, which I still think was all staged to get. I think because it, was it wasn't well. the no best one... market in the world is a, is that getting all over the news. Yeah. No Why is Christian Bale getting so hooked up? Oh, this film must be brilliant. Um, yeah. I think Terminator Salvation was, it was all right. There's some good elements in it. There's some quite boring bits. <laughs> Mate, you, so you've brought killer robots. Well, let me throw some killer robots at you. But however, let me throw you some product placement and some good robots to 2007 when we saw Shia LaBeouf, Megan Fox do nearly battle. Put this. Nearly put this. With the Autobots and the Decepticons in Michael Bay's Transformers, a film that I think when you're watching is actually pretty good. But the second you switch your brain on, you realise, no. Mm. It's a fine line. And I do what, I think it's the only one Maybe it might be too good for the list. Maybe, but only only Jaws. It's the film of the only watchable Transformers film. The rest of them are god-awful. But this one, to me, is the fine line between good and bad. There's just enough in it to keep you interested. Shia LaBeouf doesn't wind you up. Megan Fox is not too much annoying yet. And Michael Bay isn't a bigger asshole as he will be in the next film. So it's an all right film. It's okay. 
Yeah, it's all right. And also... If it was one and done, I'd be happy with that exactly. first one. And also, the idea that you fantasising about your car turning into a massive robot and stamping on all the traffic. It's, it's, yeah, it's also the... It's the childhood memories, though, as well. If you if you're a yeah. fan of the animated season, the Gets series, the nostalgia about, to yeah. think that we ever got to the point of visual effects where you can make that come to life, is, that is great. That's cool. Actually, I never really thought of it like that. Yeah, it it has like the genuine the the masterpiece with Orson Welles randomly voicing and like one of the characters in like the original animated film. Mm. That's pretty cool. But this one talking about the Michael Bay extravagant. I always remember Megatron just basically being there for twenty minutes at the end and being a mm. bit of a bitch. Yeah. I was going to go Peter Rabbit for my next one. Okay. Um, but then I took it away for a very similar movie, a very uh, British movie of a similar vein. And that was Christopher Robin from 2018, starring Ewan McGregor. And this movie, Winnie the Pooh, goes to the big city um, as he leaves 100 Acre Woods uh, to find a grown-up Christopher Robin because Winnie the Pooh needs help finding his friends. Take away the beauty of the animation because the animation is truly special. The, they, they didn't go for the bright mustard Winnie the Pooh with a red T-shirt. They went for almost authentic, old-looking 1920s, 1930s toys, teddies. Mm. You know, they looked glorious. You know, seeing Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, um, Piglet, all the characters, they looked brilliant. But that's really where the interest ended. You know, Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Robin... Now as you and McGregor, you know, it's that, it's, it's Peter Pan all over again. It's the boy that grew up and, you know, yes, he's searching for the lost friends, but what he's really searching for was something missing inside him all along. Mm. It has enough set pieces in it towards the end that were quite enjoyable, but you took them, you took beloved characters out of the, the environment that you beloved them in and put them in the big city. And it's like, okay, I remember... I remember shenanigans in a taxi and you know, bits, and, and, and which is very on the nose to Peter Rabbit because that's the same thing. You take Peter and the rabbit away from the farmyard, away from the farmer's, uh, you know, uh, vegetables and put him in the big city. And you're like, what, what the fuck am I watching? It's not babe. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's just, keep, keep, it's like, not babe. Yeah, keep, Bullshit. Keep, keep, keep my childhood where it belongs. And so it wasn't bad. It was enjoyable. I watched it in the cinema and, and I, I will, I'll continue to say that I think in terms of visual awe, the characters looked stunning. And even when I was researching this episode and thinking about putting it in, I've Googled it again, see what year it came out. And I was like, they do look brilliant, but the film lets it down. And it's that Ewan McGregor thing. If Ewan McGregor's either really, really good or bland. And I still like Ewan McGregor. I always like Ewan McGregor, but this for me was a, it should have been a rat absolute home run. It should film. have been. And also, I, even I remember Peter Rabbit. Like, <clears throat> sorry. Peter Rabbit or Winnie the Pooh? Uh, Peter Rabbit. Oh, I know. I remember Winnie the Pooh as well. Sorry, I meant so. I remember them both. Yeah. You should have thought there should be like a home run. There should be a version of one of them that's brilliant. Because it's also, not. and I don't get Winnie the Pooh goes from 100 Acre Woods and he just appears in a little green in front of Christopher Robin's house. Um, so I, if I ask Christopher Robin, I'd be like, yeah, I have grown up, but where the fuck have you been, Pooh? <laughs> get out. Right? Get if, you, if you can just magically appear in this little bit of grass in front of the house, fuck you been, son. <laughs> <laughs> where had he been? Smack, mate. <laughs> High on honey. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd Just tripping balls on some bad honey. <laughs> oh my god! Are you ready? Do you, then? Do you know that the Winnie Pooh characters are all based on different forms uh, of I've heard mental you, health? You told me. Yeah. yeah, it's anxiety, depression. Yeah, but I've also heard the opposite that that's not true. But then I, well, I think A. Mills did say that, didn't he? he said because he, he suffered from PTSD himself when he came back from war, and then when he wrote the Winnie the Pooh books. Oh, it he, makes it makes sense yeah. when you look at the characters. But it's not something that <clears throat> it's one of those things I've seen bad around mm. on the internet. Those. Um, I don't know about you, but number one for me 
it's difficult. Thinking about Jurassic Park three. Decided no. You are no. Thought about Iron Man two. That nearly made my list. Iron Man two would have definitely been on there. I thought about the Meg. I thought about Robocop two. And then genuinely, for the longest time, there was was my number one. Speed two cruise control. Mm. But then that film is just just aches too bad. And there's a flip up between two. And I genuinely can't pick between them. Olympus has fallen, which is the ultimate film that you could have on a film and just completely ignore. But I think it's too good. I like Olympus as well. Yeah, I like it as well. So I think it comes off the list. It's so bad. It's brilliant. And Die Hard in the White House. And is replaced by a film that you could argue started this podcast. In a film where people don't give great performances, you've got The Rock, you've got Neve Campbell, Skyscraper as number fucking one of films that are definitely mediocre. <laughs> I feel you're right. It, it's, when I, this film is it. This, the story set up for you really quickly at the beginning, like that's a fake leg, that'll come up later. <laughs> you don't have to think. It's, it's the film that's genuinely designed to be told to a very passive audience that don't really have to do anything. I, mean, I love I love The Rock as well. Dwayne Johnson, his social media is always like, we're bringing it, we're bringing it the best movie of all time. This is going to be the biggest movie you've ever seen in the skyscraper. People like Dad, he's like, what, oh, second best? Fucking uh, Tyrion or oh, third best. But either way, I'm bringing it, this is it, summer, you're getting it. And it, and it was so bland. It was, so, it was bland. so bland. So not exciting in the slice, but then you know what? There's there's things. <laughs> you're, just, you're just waiting for the bit where he jumps, like he jumps yeah. off the crane. Yeah. And there were literally a hundred better ways for him to get into that building. <laughs> like a door. Like, like anything, James. Oh. Anything. I love the scientists that have, that have gone into how impossible that jump is, yeah. from jumping off that crane. And we're, how bad he would have splattered on the pavement. But it was a vehicle for the rock. Much like, because what nearly made malice was Hercules. Ah, uh, yes. Which was, because that had a really, this goes back to that, what I talked about with Death Note and what I could talk about with films like The Purge. Interesting ideas that the film just doesn't pay off. The Purge, an idea that you, crime, you, you could be innocent for murder on one day of the year. Great concept. What's it do? Makes it a house invasion movie on, on what was a much better. And that's not to... This, that movie, Bloomhouse, I think have done brilliant things for horror in pushing horror back into the mainstream and yeah. financing movies that would otherwise not be made, much like what Netflix do. Bloomhouse keep their budget at 20 mil. That's what they, so they can make five movies a year and only one of them, like Halloween, needs to make the 200 million mark to break even. And Bloomhouse yeah. have got a great model. But The Purge, I can't help think there's a better idea there in there. There is yeah. And Hercules is like that. You know, the, Dwayne Johnson's Hercules, it's all hearsay. It's all stories. It's all manufactured. It's all its all about the fear of the person and the you know, and the stories of the person. They're actually what they've done. And I thought it was really good. It was, like, it was like a smoke and mirrors. But then when I watched it, I was like, this is just shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is just really bad. You know what I mean? Like, it is bad. So it, that nearly made my list, but then it went to bed. What I did write on here, but I've changed it now. And I haven't done like 10 to 1. So these are in no particular order. These are just the, 10 films. Literally the only one that was ranked was definitely Skyscraper. I think one. Skyscraper wins out of everything <laughs> we talked about today. I think that is the absolute best one. Um, I did have The Watch, the movie that starred Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, Jonah Hill and Richard Ayoade. Yeah. 
But then I realised it is just bad. Yeah. The, the movie centers around a neighbourhood watch group that uh, then uncover an alien conspiracy and oh. hijinks ensue. Obviously. The film was massively disrupted due to an actual real life event where a neighbourhood watch person shot someone, an innocent bystander. Yeah. And then so it really disrupted the marketing campaign, the release date and everything. So it kind of did get lost. I think it, it certainly made a loss. Vince Vaughn has a few laughs in it, but the rest of the cast don't. And, and Jonah Hill, I'm a fan of. Richard Ayoade, I love. So it's one of them where I'm... Uh, but I fall back to that. I think it is just... It's just bad. It's just it just bad. falls on the bad side. So then I was going to go um, Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I can see that. As a weird <laughs> Netflix art-infused, uh, weird movie, a, a horror drama with big names playing weird roles in a... <laughs> art house style film which I thought was going to be brilliant and I, and I really wanted to love it and I was just like eh, that's alright but but I suppose I couldn't put that on the list because it did still have enough edginess to it to be a little bit different yeah you know a tattoo kills someone oh, yeah, you don't see that every day do you yeah. apart from that episode of the X-Files yeah, you good go. episode of that yeah, it was no Mulder in it so I settled on Monument Men oh that's a shame because I've, I've never seen it, I've always wanted to. But if you're telling me it's the top of you, well, no, you haven't done them in order, but if it's no. on your top 10 of them, so yeah. That's going to take my final place in this random list of 10 films that are mediocre. Monument Men should be about greatness. And it's my, what's really underpins most of my decisions today has been, you know, what you've done is you've, or if I may, what I feel like you've done is you've taken films that have such real greatness and badness, so therefore level out. Yeah. Unless it's Skyscraper. Unless it's just perfectly near. Whereas my list has been centered around, great concepts that the studio just doesn't know what to do with, you mm. know, and that's been my kind of reoccurring theme with these other than, um, you know, the watch, which I've now taken off. And for me, Monument in the Men is that it's, you know, World War II, it's preserving artifacts and history from the Nazis in a really interesting, different story from World War II tales. Great ensemble cast. But tonally, never at any point feels like a World War II movie. Or for me, yeah. it didn't. It didn't capture the the essence, the camaraderie of Saving Private Ryan or any of the movies that came out um, that kind of captured that Band of Brothers feel to it. This was just, oh, here's all these actors dressed up in old uniforms doing something that's historic and and noteworthy and definitely deserves a movie. But no point paid off for me in, a, in, in what I thought was great. It's... I nearly went deaf of Stalin for the same reason. Well, I would have punched you in the head. But I do, yeah, there's a part of me that thinks deaf of Stalin was fucking brave doing what he did with that movie. So I settled on Monument Man. Fair enough. I still probably going to watch it, to be fair. It's worth the watch. Yeah, well, it's not great. Yeah, that's a shame. Watch it, watch Ivan. I'm just going to reiterate as well. We don't obviously condone. Yeah, don't drive yeah. and, and watch a <laughs> we film. Don't, we don't. Unless, we're we're unless making fun of a situation. Yeah, so please don't. Yeah, obviously, road safety is, is very important. Yes, don't forget to look both ways. Um, got nothing coming to the end of the episode then so it's now about paving the way for the future yeah so I think it's probably worth addressing on this podcast we haven't had a chance to talk about this but we're going through very big changes at the moment we is you're moving I am I'm soon to be moving you are there will be a bit of distance between us there will it's going to be sad so what we we are going to maintain our trying to release an episode each and every week as we have done for 195 episodes um but I think what we're going to have to start doing until we find our feet moving is a big commitment. There's things like internet issues, bits and pieces like that. Yeah. We're just going to have to start tailoring it in a little bit. So I think what we should start doing now is transitioning to uh, play by play single movies. Cool. So obviously a single movie gives us 
loads of conversation. The directors work, the actors work, you know, mm. was there sequels? What's the franchise? What's the source material? What were the critics reviews? What happens in the movie that makes it so significant or bad or whatever it is that we choose to talk about? There's enough content in a movie. And yeah. what I'm worried about is it does move us to more of a generic podcast uh, setup. Yeah. You know, a lot of film podcasts just do focus that. on a movie each week or each month or, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's some great ones, some that I listen to, but I've, I've always prided, uh, prided us on, you know, doing beardies versus baldies. Or, it's weird that that's or, supposed to go to it. Or creating a football team about film characters or doing a bank house. We've always done yeah. the... We've done the lighter off, side off, of things. We've yeah. done the off the beaten track, yeah. Um, so for the next few weeks, just while we find our feet, I think we will go to more of a formulate route. And we've done this before with yeah. like the He-Man episode or... You know, we've done there it. There's some great ones in there. Yeah. Die Hard, when we read the script. I mean, the first one I think was Highlander. One of my favourite episodes, The mm. Lost Boys. So we will keep our fun aspect, but yeah. I think certainly for the next few weeks as we lead up to the 2000, uh, 2000, 200 <laughs> episode. <laughs> Christ, <laughs> Christ. The 200 episode. Um, we're just going to start honing in on specific movies because time, easy, time is not an ally at the moment with yeah. everything going on in the world. So um, We're growing up. I'm going to put it out there yeah. for episode 200. Okay. Inner Space. Yes. A thousand times yes. Is it on anything? Yeah, it's on Disney. Yes. I can't wait to watch Inner Space. I mean, we should maybe watch Inner Space for our 200 episode. Yes. Because we did He-Man, so what's we better than a tiny Dennis Quaid <laughs> going, going inner human? Mate. But we've got a couple of episodes to go before that. So that's our show for this week. How do you think it went? Um, I think it was good, yeah. I thought it was just average. I'm just, it just, <laughs> shit, I went straight into that. Uh, I can't hope that you heard me this time. <laughs> so we'd have to re-record this episode as well. Um, that's our show for this week. If you like it, don't forget to like and subscribe. Some film recommendations this week. Do check out The Wheelman. Um, Night Clerk, it's on Netflix, not great, but tell us what you think. James, you've also been to see... I saw The Lost City. And do you know what? He's actually worth your time. Um, it's, do you know what? That said, it's, you were talking about an 80-minute film. This is, again, two hours. It doesn't need to be. But mm. watching Sandra B in a, in a strength zone, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt, yes. Probably go watch the it. The Tate. The Tate. Um, yeah, let us know what you think. And what are your middle-of-the-road movies? No, not great, not bad, just middle-of-the-road. Let us know. Uh, if I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye. <laughs>